Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. Uh, my name is Ian Cheeseman and this is a podcast dedicated to all things Manchester City and as well as City, of course. We'll just talk about football in general, but principally about Manchester City. I'll introduce my guests in just a moment, but first of all, a, a big shout out to the sponsors of the podcast who are AMR Development UK, who, if you're aware of these pyramid near Stockport, you will know that there is a, it used to be the Court Bank actually, but it's now a, a three level event centre and it's a lovely restaurant in there as well. And it's been developed by AMR Development UK. So they're one of the sponsors of this podcast. The other one is um, R&D Tax Credit Consultants in the UK, Counting Kings. They're one of the very best. Uh, they've do all sorts of things like uh, source grants, utilise government tax incentives or financial options to organise business loans and help you scale up and grow. And they're very, very good at what they do. Um, I've seen them in action. And if you have, have a business or you're part of a business and you want to get their advice, then contact them. They're based in the Salford area. You can easily find them by just searching Counting King on Google and mention Forever Blue, and that'll no doubt get you an even better response from them. Now, my guests today um, are former City player um, and one of my heroes, watching him play every game he played for the club, Richard Dunn. Uh, we've also got Tony and Toby from the Forever Blue podcast team. So I'll start with you, Richard. I mean, obviously, um, I know you were working for the club, uh, watching the Newcastle game, and I was up there watching the match uh, in the front row of the upper tier, felt like about a quarter of a mile away from the action. What was it like for you? I mean, that was a pretty thrilling game from my perspective. Yeah, it was a very good match. Um, the first half was 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 entertaining. Newcastle were a bit more involved in the first half. Um, I thought I thought City played really well. Um, they obviously had those couple of minutes where they conceded the goals, but apart from that, they they played reasonably well. They played a probably a higher line than they normally do. Um, certainly with just the two main defenders and in, in uh, at the back most of the time, but then the second half they just completely dominated it and they 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 just blew Newcastle away at times. And you were once they got the equaliser, you just sort of going. Well, it's inevitable that we'll get the winner. It just seemed to take an age for it to, to come, but um. Finally, it did, and I mean, uh, it last gasp winner, but it was a very much deserved victory. I thought they they done really well and certainly deserved the three points. There, are, you'll be aware of the fact that City San, uh, fans sing a song about the great defence, the best team in Europe, um, and and I personally think that the defence is superb. However, when City concede a couple of goals, there is criticism. Do you think that criticism is fair? Because City's game is all about possession. They very rarely uh, even give the opposition a chance. And when the opposition score, everybody suddenly starts saying, oh, it's the defence. But uh, I don't see it that way. How do you see it? No, I think for them to, to be as dominant as they are, they need the defence to play a high line. They need to be pushed up. And normally you will have one will move forward and he sort of kept with three centre-halves around the back line. But yesterday, both full-backs pushed up really high, which just left a lot of space for Diaz and um, for and Aki to, to cover. So the space was out wide. And um, when you're playing the Premier League and you play a line like that, eventually intelligent footballers will find spaces. They'll start to time their runs right. And Newcastle done it really well. I'm surprised probably more teams haven't tried it like that. Um, and trying to avoid the midfield, just get it long. And Newcastle had the players who could first find the pass and second had the speed to get in behind. And I mean, 
even still, both goals were taken really well by Newcastle. They were great finishes, and when you when you play a City, do you? It's amazing that they don't concede more chances, really, um, because of the how how high they play. And yeah, from time to time they will got, get caught out. But I think when you're winning trophies and you're winning Champions League and things like that, you have to look at how strong is your defence because without a strong defence, you're not going to be able to do anything like that. And City have proved time and time again that they've got individually they've probably got the best defenders in the league. And I think as a as a unit, they're they're as solid as anyone. I mean, even you go with Rodri in front of them is the best defensive midfielder in the world. So I don't think there's any defensive problems. It's just from time to time you may get caught out. And certainly, yes, there was a change of system in a way with the, the fullback pushing up. So, yeah, the, there was gaps there at times. But overall, in the second half, you didn't see them at all. I suppose you've already answered this really in the way that you've said that. But um, City play a different type of defending arguably, than when you were playing in the City team. Do you think you would enjoy playing in this, this City defence? Um, I mean, it's risky. It's a high line, so it's, uh, you're always looking over your shoulder, always thinking, right, can I, I need to run back? Who's, who, who are we marking? Where's the spaces that we need to, to cover? Um, but yeah, to play in the in the team would be would be an incredible um, feeling, I think, for any, any centre-half, any sort of ex-footballer, you think if you had the opportunity to play in that team, could you? And basically the, the fact, can you pass the ball 10 yards? Well, then you can probably play in the team. Maybe you can read the game and you can pass the ball a few yards. Then I think most players would be capable of it. But the ones that are playing there now, what amazes me every time that I watch them is the passing, the quality of the passing. It's like 10 yards or 20 or 30 yards. The ball doesn't come off the ground. It rolls across the floor perfectly. It's the weight of parts, but the appreciation for the next person to control it. So it, it is elite, elite level, really. But um, yeah, I would like to think that I would, I would have enjoyed being able to, to be part of it, but obviously it's not to be. I had the opportunity to speak to the coach of Bahia, the Brazilian partner club of City that are in the CFG. They had a press conference on Friday. And I started by telling him how much I loved Brazilian football when I grew up. And now I was in the lucky position to watch Pep Guardiola's almost Brazilian-style football, perfect football, beautiful game-type football. And I said, can you take that back to Brazil? And you know what his answer was? He liked the fact... Well, one of the advantages that the English game Pep had was the cold weather and the grass he said the grass is better in England, but the cold weather allows for more intensity. What do you make of that answer? Yeah, I mean, the pitches in the Premier League are the best anywhere. Um, I've been to games in France and I've seen the pitches and the, they're good, but they're not that level of, of what you've got in the Premier League. Even you go to the academy grounds and the pitches are, are amazing and it's just crying out for the ball to be rolled across them. Um <laughs> I mean, the intensity one, yeah, you, mean, you have to run. Certainly up in Newcastle in, in the middle of January, you need to run. Um, so the way that City moved the ball, Liverpool moved the ball really quick and Tottenham moved the ball really quick. So um, I think the the level of football in, in, in England has just gone through the roof in recent years. I think it's, it's brilliant. And it's, this season especially, I've really enjoyed watching the league because there is so many good attacking teams. And yeah, I'm sure teams that, that Brazilian fans would, would love to be able to see on a regular basis. Well, he, he was happy to acknowledge that Pep is the best coach in the world. I don't think anybody can argue against that, can they? 
No, certainly. I mean, at the moment, he's the one that's evolving all the time. He's the one that's ahead of the game because people, as soon as they see him do something, they try and follow him and they try and, right, well, if City are doing that and they're winning a game, do we want to try it? So if he stands still, he ends up getting caught by, by other coaches. So it's always little tweaks here and there and um, moving certain players around the field in different ways. And It's just, it's amazing how how he keeps it so fresh and he keeps the players educated really on what he's doing because uh, I mean coaches are great and yesterday but people talk about the amount of money that he spent but the players that he's inherited he's improved the players that he's bought he's improved and I think that's what makes a real coach. Um, you've got twenty five of the top fifty players in world football potentially in that squad. The the amazing footballers all of them. And you never hear them moan and they're always happy. They're always well managed by the by the manager. And that again, I mean, the success is there and people put it all down to the tactics that he used and the players that he's been lucky enough to, to afford to buy. There's so much more in, to that with the, the man management of them and the education of the players is just beyond anyone I think I've ever seen as a coach. And you're well aware of the humour of City fans. And I've seen today after Kevin De Bruyne's comeback game with an assistant and a goal, um, them replaying the video um, uh, from long ago of um, uh, Thompson from Liverpool and Merson from Arsenal, both saying that De Bruyne would sort of never make it and wasn't worth the, the 50 million. Um, he's proven them wrong somewhat, hasn't he? I mean, I, the way you know, because you've contributed to it, to the match day vlogs that I do. And on the way up to Newcastle yesterday, I called in at Heseldon in County Durham and I went to where Colin Bell grew up. He was my hero. I wrote his autobiography. Um, and um, I then went to watch the game. And you would argue that De Bruyne is probably the nearest thing we've seen to Colin Bell. He might be better now. That That's a debate to be had. Mm. But De Bruyne is the nearest I've seen. I don't know if you remember Michael Johnson at City who came through briefly and, and had a little period in the first team, but then uh, was cut back by injury. But apart from Michael Johnson, Kevin De Bruyne is Colin Bell to me. Can you see that that parallel? You must have watched Bell on, on sort of video on YouTube and stuff. I've seen clips of him, yeah, but I was never fortunate enough to to see real good footage to to compare them enough. And for me, I don't, I've not seen anyone in my time that that's got the same qualities as what De Bruyne has got. He, he he seems unique in the way that he moves around the pitch, the passes that, and the vision that he's got is just incredible. And you look at what City have done over the last whatever six months while he's been out injured, and I mean. They obviously won the Champions League he had to come off early in that but he makes the best team in the world better which is an incredible thing to be able to do for any footballer to he's not just an important player he, he's the most important player because City can go and win the league without I think Erling Haaland probably without Ruben Diaz I think with De Bruyne in the team he just pushes them over the line ahead of any team in the Premier League, but even in, in European competitions, he's the one that I think can really make a difference between now and May. That he makes, we were saying last night, he makes, he makes the players on the pitch better. So like that pass for Oscar Bob, Oscar Bob's first initial thought is I'm going to come short for it. But because he knows De Bruyne is on it, De Bruyne has the ability to knock it in behind. His ball pattern changes and he goes, right, I'm going to run in behind now. So instantly he's become a better player. He's received the ball and he's took the goal brilliantly. But 
I think when he looked at who's on the pass, makes him make that run that he made. I think it's um, I think De Bruyne is, yeah, he, he almost taken for granted when he's playing every week, and the fact that he's been out for whatever four or five months is just it's just been brilliant watching him the last two weekends and seeing seeing all that quality and talent coming back. And normally after that length of uh, layoff, it takes weeks to get back into the rhythm of things, but he's straight into it. He looks as good as ever. Poetry in motion. Let me bring the other two lads in. I mean, obviously you were watching that game, Toby. I know you were up at, at Newcastle. Um, from where I was, the second he came on, he took a free kick and I thought, don't tell me he's going to score the free kick, you know, but it was all written for him. But then the perfect goal, I don't know how he steered that ball in because his balance seemed to be all wrong to hit it the way he did with his right foot into that bottom corner. And then as Richard so eloquently has just put it, he invited... Oscar Bob to do something that maybe he wouldn't have done naturally. Perhaps we're underestimating him, but that is the genius of him, isn't it? I think that performance in that game just sort of sums up how important and, and what kind of player Kevin De Bruyne is. Um, when you come, when he comes on and he's straight on the free kick and he's sort of standing there, you've got Bernardo Silva and Julian Alvarez standing there who have been taking the free kicks in his absence and he's sort of walking away and then walking back and you're going, is he going to take this? And then he steps up to it and you're like, surely not. And it would have been the perfect return. But what was it? I think his fourth or fifth touch, I think it was. I think he sort of, if you wait, the way you look at it, I think he would, I think Dubravka got a bit wrong footed because I think he thought he was going to go in that top right-hand corner and then he went in the bottom. It's just amazing. Um, I think it's it's always quite nice to have something taken away because then you fully appreciate how much you 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 love it and you 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 know how much it means. And we've had De Bruyne gone for five months and he's come back and within two games, I mean, you know, Huddersfield we were two and a half and he provided what an, an assist and he was amazing and he changed the game. But that one yesterday was just that that summed it up for me. That you know. The second goal especially just epitomises what Kevin De Bruyne is all about. I don't think any other player in the Premier League, I don't think any other player in the world would have the vision to spot Oscar Bob out there. And like Richard says, he's not only made that pass, but he's made Oscar Bob a better player because he is able to run in behind and do what he does best. Obviously, special mention to him, I mean, to come into a team, um, I'm talking about Oscar Bob, by the way, um, to come into a team at, at, at that age and, and come on. I, mean, I, I was sitting there and, you know, I had to put my foot in my mouth a bit because I was sat there, he brought us goal and I was like, is is he the right player to go and win this game? I don't know. And I had to sit there and go, fair enough, because the finish was amazing. So composed for such a young kid um, to, to to finish like that. It was just amazing. Um, but but De Bruyne is to come back from that sort of injury. And we're not talking a two or three week injury where he's he's pulled his muscle or he's you know he's just a little nigger or something. It's it, he's come back from a lengthy injury. He's had a lot of surgery. He was injured in the Champions League final. Didn't recover properly over summer. Came back. Didn't then got another injury. Back to surgery and then to come back and do that. I mean, it's just incredible. Jurgen Klopp said. I can't remember if it was after one of the games said. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is warming up and the Premier League is shaking. <laughs> that game just sort of sums it up. It's just uh, you, you can't, you can't. There's no words for it anymore. He, he is. I think when he finishes his career, the the words of greatest midfielder ever have got to be. They've, they've, he's got to be in the conversation for that. 
everything he does. I, I don't think there's any, I, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I don't think there's any part of his game that's a, there's a weakness. He can do it on his left, he can do it on his right, he can pass, he can shoot, he can score, he can assist, he can dribble, he's got the touch. He's, he's amazing. He's just a full package and the importance has been really shown over the last few months. Um, as soon as he came on, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the goal and the assist. It was the whole demeanour of the team. After we went 2-1 down, we looked a bit down and out. We looked like we we were going to struggle to go and get ourselves back into the game. Um, and he came on and it changed. We, we had chances. Yeah, I mean, Alvarez missed that missed that chance um, from the corner, I think it was. Uh, and we, we had chances, but we didn't. We looked almost a bit like we did at Villa, where we looked a bit sort of starting to get the heads to the ground. Uh, again, this is quite difficult for me to see because I'm miles away but um it just didn't look like a, a like we wanted to go and win it and as soon as De Bruyne came on that completely changed he just it, it was almost like they got a kick back into life oh right he's back now there's an there's almost like there's an expectation now De Bruyne's on we've got to go and win this because he's here so now we've got no excuse but it was amazing it was an incredible performance and and you can't you can't underestimate how important he is there's no words left for it now he's just incredible incredible player the significance of him to the team was very clear for me to see. I don't know what was shown on TV, but when Rodri came over, he, he was bowing down to Kevin De Bruyne as they were celebrating mm. at the, the City end. Uh, Tony, tell me, just talk me through your emotions as you watched that game, both from the perspective of what De Bruyne contributed, but also the the roller coaster of that game. I mean, it was, you know, 1-0 City led, then Newcastle 2-1, then an, an injury time winner. And you, anybody that watched the vlog will have seen the City fans and the reaction afterwards was, you know, you absolutely euphoric, like like you rarely see from fans. Yeah, because I think um, in, in what you're saying there, I mean, obviously watching it on the TV, which obviously I did uh, yesterday, um, and uh, as Toby just mentioned in regards to the superlatives, I don't think there are, there's not enough of them to mention about uh, Kevin De Bruyne. But in terms of the game itself, we started... Um, as Richard said, Newcastle in it early, early, early does. But then once we got a hold of the game by playing that really high line, we seemed to just set set ourselves to say, right, this is where we're going to dominate, and everybody knew where they needed to be. Uh, and it was just a matter of time once we'd got set in our pattern. So for to be caught, then basically, you know, two times basically on 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 the break was a real, real surprise. And and I must admit, um. It, You'd gone from one extreme to the other, you know, the superlatives of, of Bernardo's goal, etc. And just the way that we were moving the ball around, everybody was getting involved. Walker was up and down, unbelievable, you know, going inside, going up and down and so on and so. And then we seemed to drop back a little bit then. And I think that with the um, situation with Anthony Gordon there causing a bit more problems on that side, Walker decided to sort of go back a little bit further than what he normally does. So, um Obviously, then when we went uh, the two one down, then uh, you do automatically think, well, you know, we we need to get this next goal, um, and the endeavour of obviously trying to push for that goal, you were also of fear because of the way that we conceded goals, which again seems to be a bit of a situation at the moment. Now, whether it's because we are playing this high line and therefore opening ourselves up, and that teams are getting a little bit better at counterattacking then maybe that's a, a, a kind of situation that, that we kind of think, right, well, we may have to score three or four goals in order to win a game. It's not always going to be possible. So obviously we need to address that at some point. Um, but I, I, 
I, I just obviously when, when we got the second goal there, and and you were saying or we were saying before in terms of the way that De Bruyne attacked that particular ball, the fact that he hit it early, and as we said before, the fact that he hit it with his right foot as opposed to sort of getting his left foot across top right hand corner, I think took De Bruyne Brav, uh, by surprise to be honest. Now. If you, uh, and because I was um, able to see the kind of slow motion, it actually looked like he he kind of used the uh, the defender's legs to put it through in order that, that it takes a distraction from the keeper that basically just went in uh, without any uh, interference whatsoever. And it was just perfect. And then you were thinking, right, okay, so let's see see where we go for that. And I must admit, I, I, I didn't see the 3-2, to be honest. I didn't see us getting that, that third goal, even though we had... The, the the play I just didn't see where it was coming from um, and so I can really understand the jubilation which obviously we had at the point when we scored the goal Oscar Bob did what he needed to do it reminded me very much and I'm just wondering if it's in the same context um, where single-handedly uh, Yaya Toure when we played at Newcastle and we won the league for the for the first time there kind of re- reminded me very much of that where he got hold of the, uh, the game by the scruff of the neck and 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 won that game for us, which he which he did. Yeah, you're sorry for remembering that particular game, and that was the difference. And I think we have struggled in games like that before. Um, so it was just unbelievable, and I can understand the 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 kind of the we've done something now. There's a, there's a there's a marker set there ultimately, uh, because I think that um, was probably going to be one of our toughest games away from home. So absolutely brilliant, Richard. You've been in the team when. Uh, there are these turning points. We as fans feel as if we can see them. You're in the dressing room. You can feel how the the players react. So when you were watching that celebration, when you were hearing the comments from Pep and the players afterwards, um, as a, a former player who's been in that exact situation, do you sense that they see that as a turning point? Yeah, I mean, probably... Since the World Club Cup, they've they've been playing really well. They've they've been picking up the results. I think they've won six in a row now or something. But they've they've been playing really well. And I think to go away to a to a difficult place like Newcastle and win when when you're behind certainly is a huge huge sort of moment when you start to believe like right this run isn't just a, a small sort of good good run of of results. This is the real thing now. But the biggest thing I think for 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 them yesterday was the fact that they're all for two weeks now, and you can't go into breaks like that on the back of a poor result. They wanted to win the game. They wanted to go out to Abu Dhabi and be in a in a good mood, in a positive mood. And I think it makes such a big difference when when you do have that break and you're looking at the table and you you've got the points that you know that you should have gotten. You're not looking back on that was a missed chance maybe there. So I think that's there's a little bit of relief as well that comes with it. Um, but yeah. I think for me yesterday the turning point when he came on was the reaction of the Newcastle players and the crowd and stuff like that. And you can almost feel they were they looked knackered Newcastle. And then when they you see someone like him coming on, known he's just going to destroy us here with passes. He's not going to get the ball off him. You could feel they lost a little bit of belief and they drop off a little bit. And that's that's where when he's on and people drop off, knowing that the quality that he's got, he can start to find spaces to to, to pick those passes and. Yeah, if the rest of the Premier League starts to go right, the Bruyne is back and the head drops a little bit, well then certainly is a turning point, the fact that he's back as well as the result yesterday. So much of football's played in the head, Richard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, massively. And it's um, 
it switches. It's all about confidence and, and how you're feeling and stuff like that. Because all the footballers at Man City in the, in the, uh, throughout the Premier League, they can all pass the ball, they can all score goals, they can all run, they can all do everything that, that you would expect of a professional footballer. But it just depends on how their mind is and how their what their belief is. If they're thinking, right, under the cosh here, just I'm feeling more tired than normal. Because even when you go to Newcastle and the way that you were playing in the second half, you're playing uphill. And I've been at Newcastle when we're getting battered and it's difficult, and we're just trying to get out from up that hill, and it looks like it's 30 foot high the hill. It's so difficult, but the city just they just steamrolled them, and there was no like the mental sort of strength just to keep going, keep going, keep going. I spoke about the chance that Alvarez missed. I think as soon as he missed it, Rodri jumped up and trashed his arms around, and he was raging. But the next thing is right, straighten the head out. Let's go again. We're going to do the same thing, and it's that relentlessness that which is one city everything they've won over the last few years with them. I think that's the key word relentless. Um, we'll come back in a minute to the, the contemporary stuff but I just wanted to ask you about Sven Juren Eriksson who obviously announced that he's, uh, he's, he's ill and, and he's terminally ill ultimately and he was a, a man I met several times in the job that I did at the BBC and such a dignified gentleman I just wonder what your what your thoughts are at the moment really Richard about uh, Sven. Yeah obviously Really, really sad. Um, my experience and the time that I spent with Sven was, was probably the best in my career. I, I loved working with him. I thought he was, like I say, just a, such a gentleman, such a respectful person. And when when managers come in, they always right, have a first team meeting and they sort of set the tone for how everything's going to work. And he came in and he's, he said, I've got one rule for everybody and that's just respect. Respect me, coaches, each other staff around the training ground that's all I expect after that we'll just do things the right way and he was he was he was true to his word he, he treated everybody the same he spoke to everybody he tried to have time for everybody and yeah I think he was it was obviously the the, the result on the final day is the one which people will, will bring up and he was harshly treated in a way because because of the way that the owners at the time were running the club I think he would promise certain players as well throughout the windows, which which never materialised. And but he was brilliant. I remember after the the game, I was suspended for the first game of next season. So we were playing Aston Villa away, and he'd obviously been sacked at this time. And he rang me on the Friday night before the game, um, and he rang me just to say, "Wish the lads all the best. So I hope you have a great season." And I was saying, well, all right, well, how are you getting on? He's like, I'm great. I'm in Panama. We're a few lovely ladies and life is good. So that was him. And um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great, great guy. And uh, I'll wish him all the best. Do you know that he was going to go at the end of that season? I mean, you obviously referred to that 8-1 at Middlesbrough, uh, which was statistically the lowest point for a City fan. I was commentating on that game. So unlike some who went early, I had to stay there till the end. I just wonder from a from a, a player's perspective, what was going on in the dressing room at that time? Yeah, we, we had a fair idea that his time was up, that he was going to be moved on at the end of the season. Um, he, all the players had really bought into what he was doing. And certainly early on in that season, we, we started really well. Um, we probably should have finished a couple of places higher, but we sort of ran out of gas, I suppose, and the, the quality of the... He wanted to sign real top-level players in January and we just never really got it got it to happen. Um, 
but yeah, certainly the players believed in what he was trying to do. And when it does come around that the information is that he's not getting treated correctly from from the club owners, it filters down to the dressing room, and people know that. And it's, um, it's difficult because he's obviously not your mate because he's the he's the coach, but he's someone that you who's told us to respect one another, and we felt that maybe he was being disrespected. So it is it is difficult, but it, you never. Consciously, just think right, I'm not going to try and play anymore because I'm going to try ten percent less or something like that. But it's it gets it, in there. It, it just it's something that happens to the teams and clubs throughout the throughout the world. You see it all the time when when they know the managers leave and there might be a. It's not so much in games, but maybe in training, the players who who are maybe happy that he's leaving, they they know they can take their foot off the gas. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. So it's it just yeah, it's an unfortunate. Ending to what I thought was up to then a really, really decent season. Well, he certainly, um, from my perspective, when I met him, treated me with the greatest of respect. And that's a great word. I love that word, respect. And I'm sure you and I and everybody listening to this would want to wish Sven all the best in the battle. I know Pep Guardiola on Friday at the press conference was saying that the club would do any, everything and anything it could to try and help him. He's a man we all respect and, and wish well. So, you know, keep battling, Sven, and you never know. Extend it as long as you can if if you, if you can't beat it. So it's, it's worth saying that, I think. Uh, now, I, I heard uh, you, Richard, talking about Rodri and perhaps the, the fact that players sometimes are a little unsung. So before I come back to you again, let me ask Tony and and, uh, and Toby about, you know, the, the team and the fact that, you know, we're now waxing lyrical about Kevin De Bruyne, quite rightly, and Oscar, Bob, 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 who scored the the uh, the winning goal at Newcastle. And we talk a lot about Erling Haaland and his amazing goals. But this success, and obviously Pep, but this success is built on a whole team. It's 11 players and every single one of them, you know, contribute. And, and uh, Richard absolutely correctly used the word incessant because I think that's what it is. Every time a play, City player gets it, they immediately are on the front foot going forward. There's never they never let up from that. So every player deserves credit for that, Tony, don't they? It's not just one player, it's not it's not it's not just one thing that makes City special. No, it isn't. And I think Richard probably agree with this, is that um as as a team member, uh, we kind of support each other because there are games when certain players, for whatever reason, don't quite perform as as we know that they can. And I think that what City have got is that kind of camaraderie there, where we kind of support each other, and that's definitely the case because we've seen drop off in form, like you know, with Diaz. Um, obviously, Walker's had games where he's not quite been at it, but we seem to be able to support each other. And for me, I mean, Bernardo went through a period where I think he thought he was going and expected to go, didn't go. And you wondered if he was just going to see his days out there and just do what he did. But he seems to have got a new lease of life. Uh, we know he's a great player anyway, but he seems to have just turned a corner for me. Uh, Ake has been absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, there was there was talk whether he, whether he was what we thought he was going to be, um, but he's been absolutely brilliant. Um, John Stones, when he came back, I thought was brilliant again because again, you know, we were worried whether he was going to uh, continue with the injuries that that he's got, and whether that was going to curtail any part of the season for him. So they're just a few there uh, that, that that I can uh, think of. There, I also think that Foden has got to get great mention because I think we always thought that he probably should be playing through the middle, 
Um, but obviously, in terms of the side or the squad that we had last year with Mares, etc., and Grealish going out there, that there was going to be a, a time for Foden to come into the middle. And I think the timing has been perfect because he's basically taken on a new mantle there. And I think he's he, if, if he can be undroppable, I think he would be one of those that, that are undroppable. And with the Mares situation, with Doku coming in, Doku's kind of just settled in really well and could come in and, and go out. Um, and again, I think Grealish has stepped up again. So all of these players have stepped up. So even though we may have a few that that may be going through um, issues in regards to not being able to to reach their peak and what forever, or just not having a, a, a you know the the, the kind of um, understanding that they had at one stage or another, or the ability to play at the highest level all the time, we've got players that are going to come in and and kind of take that mantle. And I think what it does then you actually then kind of don't focus on the players who are not playing well because of the fact that as a team we're so we're so together and i think that's that's been certainly for, from my point of view is the way that other people have uh, have kind of stepped up even though we pick out individuals and make them into stars, I can't help thinking this is quite a modest squad as well. It isn't about look at me, look at me. I'm I'm the star. I mean, you've only got to look at Kevin De Bruyne's body language. He's never he never does that. He's never like that. And I think that's the secret. And Rodri, there's no better player to sum that up than Rodri. I mean, blimey, the the guy covers every blade of grass. He can play with both feet, and yet he'll never be. Although I'm, I'll come to, to Richard about this in a moment because I know he's saying he, he could be a, a Ballon d'Or winner and I wouldn't rule that out. But he doesn't grab the headlines. Even Kevin doesn't grab the headlines in the way other players at other clubs do and put themselves in that spotlight, which I admire. I'm not knocking it at all. But that is one of the characteristics, isn't it, Toby? That, you know, we have players that because they're so intent on being part of the team, the squad, that they don't get the recognition perhaps that they do they deserve sometimes. Yeah, I, I think it's it's been shown over the years of Pep being here that it's not it's not about the one player. And we've shown it in we've we've shifted important players in this team on when we've when we've realized it's their time or they want something more than they that the club will give them. I mean, look at look at João Cancelo last season. I mean, you know, we had no recognised left back when he left, and we said, "Go if you want to go, you've fallen out. Go." Look at Gundogan at the end of our season. He wanted two. I mean, we don't know the full reasons why he left, but um, what we've heard is that he wanted two years, only given one. Okay, that's fine. You can go, and and it's amazing that the club are so confident in just going. Okay, that's fine. Well, we're not going to give you that. And we can't provide you with this. So if you want to go, you can go. And and it just goes to show that the that no one is irreplaceable. And and it's ironic because I've just contradicted myself there because I was saying De Bruyne is. But um, it's it's an amazing mentality. I saw I saw a, a photo on uh, this week on I can't remember where it was. It was on City's Instagram or something. And and it has it at the CFG. There's a, there's a something they've put on the wall, um, which is no Premier League team has won four consecutive Premier League titles, dot, 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 yet. And that, again, just epitomises the mentality of the team. Richard said it um, a few minutes ago that, that football is very much a game of the mind as well. It's very much mentality. You know, last season we saw, again, in the I think it was in a physio room where they said our, it's had our goal and the Champions League trophy, the Premier League trophy and the FA Cup, that you can see where the players' mentality is. And there's they're all playing for each other. There's no player on that pitch 
that is playing that's out for themselves that that is going for a, a Ballon d'Or whatever it, they're all playing for themselves. they're all playing as part of the team and they're all playing for each other and it's such an amazing mentality to see I said um, I think it was at the beginning of this in one of the podcasts beginning of this season last season there seemed to be a special connection I mean I I'm, I might just be feeling this because I went to quite a lot of the games last season I don't know if you felt this Ian but there, there seemed to be a, a connection between the fans and between the players there, there seemed to be some sort of real chemistry as close as you're going to get because you've seen it where you've been able to get closer Ian but now, especially of how far apart the players and the and the fans are, it felt last season that 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 gap was closed, and it it was it was summed up when we scored in the charity in, sorry in the community shield when Walker, because I was standing right at the front of the first tier at Wembley, and he came round and he his instant reaction was to celebrate with the fans, and it, and again that goes to show they're they're not just all there for themselves, they're there for the fans, they're there because they want to they want to win trophies and lift titles together and, and want to celebrate with, with the fans of the club and it's such a great mentality to have um and it's second to none and we've proved that we've won the treble and we've and we, we've achieved off that and it's always been the case with the club and, and like I say going back to the the signings and the and the 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 club is willing to 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 offload players if they need to, and and like with Mares, what an important player! And they go, okay, we'll just sign Doku, who's coming hit the crown running, and it's just been amazing. Um, and you get other players like Nunes and Kovacic who haven't quite got there yet, but you can see the camaraderie with the team, and they want them to it. They don't just they're not just as I say they're not just out for themselves. They want those players to achieve. They want those players to be part of the team, um, and they really want to pick themselves up and. It, it, as I say, there's not much more to say on it. It's 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 an amazing mentality. It's amazing to see, and and I hope that that relationship between the fans and between the players continues because it creates something special. It means when you're sitting there watching us w- win these amazing titles, um, you, you feel that with them. Um, and to to win something like a treble, and then you know, I mean, you, that's such an amazing achievement. To then go right now, we've got to go back to zero. Everything resets. We've got to go and do it again. That must be. I mean, you know, you talk about losing and, and being at the lowest point. That must be so difficult. I don't know if you've experienced anything like it, Richard, but where you, you've you've achieved a lot in your career, and then you have to go. Ah, oh, I've now got to go and reset and go again. It must be mental, and and those players are achieving it again. It's just showing how good they are and how mentally strong they are. Is that tough, Richard, resetting? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Never been in a situation where we've won a load of trophies and then have to go and try and win more because that wasn't the, the city that I played for. But sometimes when you when you go away on international duty, then you have to come back, you have to clear your mind of that because you're trying to qualify for a World Cup or you're trying to do this go again. We're on to the back in the Premier League sort of thing. But the one thing which has been labelled and thrown at City this year is they can't do the four in a row because of complacency, because of they've done it all, it's too hard to go again and all that stuff. But it's mostly been said by people who who haven't done it, you know what I mean? Who 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 have had the complacency set in with them. They've had the their own failures and they're trying to say, well my experience is this, but they don't know what's going on at City. They don't know the mentality of that group and the mentality of the manager and um, when you're like Toby says they have these signed up to say nobody's done it yet that's like last year nobody they hadn't they wanted the Champions League that was put in front of them that was their focus and that was all they wanted to do and I think for the club we all 
speak about the people that we can see, so the players on the pitch, the the manager, and the, the, even the chief executive and the owners, but the backroom staff is so important to all that sort of stuff. So um, when Tony's talking about players having maybe a dip in form and another guy comes in, the backroom staff know they test and players, they understand, right, he's going to have a little dip because he's put in this much amount of runs and sprints and all that sort of, there will be a dip, this guy is fresh as that and at the moment they have all these different tests to go right, around October time he'll be ready to go, he'll be ready to play a load of games and having all that sort of expertise behind it gives the players trust in what, what they're being told to do and it might be I want to play and it's like well, you need a week off, you need to have a little rest and the, the beauty of the, the City squad and talk about other clubs who have egos and players that don't work because their ego is too big and all that sort of stuff they all know they have a part to play so if they don't play from August till November they know the manager will have a plan for me from December onwards and I just think they all buy into it they all believe it they all know that they're they're part of something bigger than themselves and now they've got the opportunity to to make history and I, I think like you say about a turning point, yesterday was a, a, a part of the season where they go, right, let's try, let's try and get to within touching distance before the the, the mid-season break sort of thing. And they've done that. They've, they've achieved their goal. And now from the second part of the season, they can kick on knowing that, not not intentionally, but Kevin's had a good rest. Erling will have had a good rest. Players are starting to come back, hopefully, over the next few weeks. And then they've got the full squad to be able to go and attack three trophies again. In a minute, I'll, I'll get to Toby and Tony to see if they've got any questions for you. But just let me ask you this one, because this one intrigues me of, of, of uh, the modern footballer, of which you most definitely are. Um, and now you're on the other side of the fence and you're analysing and, and looking at players. Um, what's it like when you are you know, in the spotlight as you were as a footballer and you were there at the beginning of social media and this much more intense way of scrutinising football and knowing that you are a human being, you are Richard, who goes on to your family, who has a normal life and yet people have an opinion on every single kick you take, every single aspect of what you do, your training, your weight, your fitness, your you know, whatever it might be, something, you know, everything to do with your foot. What's that like? Because, you know, in a very, very small way, because I've worked in the media, people have talked about me, but most people never actually experience any of that. What's What was it like for you? What is it like for you? And what's it feel like to be on the side now doing it to other people? <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. It's, um, I think when you're playing every week and you're, you're sort of in the... Premier League people know you people everyone knows you everyone knows what you've done at the weekend they want to see it they want to they have they feel it's like it's like no other job in the world everyone has a has an opinion on what you do um, and it's it's sometimes throwaway comments people who who don't haven't seen games but they've they've seen the results or whatever like that who feel that they, they've got a right to comment and it can be difficult. Like I'm quite shy, so it's hard for me. And times I wouldn't go out of the house because you don't want to see people, you don't want to hear people, and, and stuff like that. So it, it it can be really difficult. And I think the the support network within clubs is is massively important and um, for players nowadays because it's dead easy to get carried away and, and go right. We're brilliant because we're all winning games and we're all um, won all the trophies. So there won't be 
but it's just around the corner. Everyone everyone goes through bad spells. Everyone comes towards the end of their career when things aren't as good as they were at the start. And uh, we're looking at all the City players and they're all, in our eyes, they're unbelievable. They're brilliant. But there will come a time when we want them all replaced by younger versions of them who we can start again. So it, it's, it's, it's very difficult if you get carried away to believe that it's always going to be like that because it's not. There is down points as well. And um, I think for, for players... You talk about not having egos, but every player needs a little bit of an ego. They need to have belief in themselves and they need to be strong minded to be able to do what they do. Um, because there is, like I say, there is people who who throw bad comments and just walk away, they don't think about it and stuff like that. And that's like I used to we'd play a game and we'd lose a game and your head would be down and you'd be like, Shh, no, I'm not happy, not happy, I'm not going out, I'm not going out. And it was your wife who said, like, listen. Them 40,000 people in the crowd, they were disappointed then. But now they have to go home and go to their own lives. not interested in, in you anymore. They just, well, for I think footballers, they, because it's every single day you see on the news, oh, they lost the weekend, they lost the weekend, they lost last week. This, this, this. It's just a constant reminder the whole time and it just eats away at you at times. So it, I think for the, the City players now, the, they're so used to winning that they, they, they don't want pace defeat they fight so much not lose games because it means so much to them to win them but it's I don't know someone said years and years ago it's like the joy of winning is great but the feeling of defeat is even worse than that and it's 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 miserable and that's the way I think most players are you just can't you can't accept defeats and, and that's the way this city team is they don't accept being beaten so they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and they're fortunate enough with the group of talented players that they are that they're nine times out of ten they can they can find a way to win games and yeah it's been it it's it's brilliant when it's like that but there is times when it when it's not so good. Having been through the experience you've been through that now, then it must temper the way you talk about players. Yeah, I don't think you can you can to play in the Premier League, you have to be a really good footballer. You have to have done something really good to get there, and you must have sacrificed something to get there. It's it's not as simple as a good at football that you play in the Premier League. There's so much more that goes to it, and in terms of your lifestyle, your fitness, and all this sort of thing, it, it sacrifices the whole way through. So, if players make mistakes, which they always will, forever and ever, they always make mistakes. That's a mistake. It's a one-off thing. It doesn't define the footballer or the player. And I think it's important for, for us in, in the job that we do that if you're disappointed with that, it was unfortunate, whatever it may be, you should, probably should have done this or should have done that. It's not a case of he's hopeless, he, can, he shouldn't be playing or, or anything like that. You just try and see it from the player's point of view and there's no way that the mistakes that they're making, they've, they've practised them or that's what, that's what they intend to do. But when it's... There has to be a winner and there has to be a fall guy and, and if you're playing two top footballers, one of them is going to get the better of the other. And it doesn't mean that the one that loses is a bad player. It's just that's what happens from day to day. You can win some, you lose them. Which comes back to that word that Sven said, respect. Um, respect. So, Toby and Tony, um, Richard is yours. Um, who wants to go first? Ask a question to uh, to Richard Dunn. <clears throat> go on then. Tony, do you want to go? Uh, yeah, uh, Richard, um, obviously, um, probably unlike Toby, I do remember you playing, um, obviously, when you came to City and obviously when, when you were at Everton and so on. Um, and I just wondered, 
In terms of, um, and I'm going to use a modern player at the moment, and obviously someone who's at City at the moment, who constantly, uh, in terms, I'm going to refer to Calvin Phillips, who constantly at this moment in time is is basically referred to somebody who's not going to be there sort of long long term. Um, and even when even when they play, it's always felt that that he's only there as a as a kind of a makeshift until somebody comes along. Did you ever experience that um, under Kevin Keegan, where you felt that that it was only a matter of time and that you had to then kind of even if you played above yourself, which obviously you did, um, did 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 you know deep down that that obviously you weren't fancied by somebody, a manager as such? Um, yeah, not. Not, certainly not Kevin Keegan. I think Kevin Keegan made him. I done some stupid things and we fell out and different things like that. But we generally got on really well. And again, there was a level of respect there that if I was training and doing things the right way, then he would he would pick me because he he told me he thought I was a good player and he wanted me in the team. So at different times there was there was reasons for not playing and and, and things like that. Um. When I was younger, when I was at Everton, I played um, I played seven or eight games towards the end of the season, the fourth season that I played and done really well. The, 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 Joe Royal had just left and they were bringing Howard Kendall back in the next season. And it was literally from day one, I knew whatever I did, I wasn't getting anywhere near the team. And it was one of those situations which you hear back in the day and it's like I never wasn't in the fourth team all the way through the season up till I was put in the squad on Boxing Day. So I had to travel on Christmas night and I had to go and sit in a hotel and then I had to go. And then we got to name the team and the subs and I wasn't in the team and I wasn't on the bench. And that sort of thing when when people are, you know, then you just want to leave, you just want to try and get out of the club. Um, luckily I didn't at the time, but I think I ended up playing one or two games and the couple of games that I played felt that I played really well but you know played because someone was suspended or someone was injured or whatever and regardless of what I did I, was, well, I wasn't in, I wasn't even on the bench the following week um so when you're in a situation like that there is there is almost I mean for my situation the team wasn't doing very well the team was struggling down towards the bottom of the league and you, you, you sort of think well I've got a four or five year contract here I don't think the manager's going to be here very long so there's no need to jump jump the gun so so early and I was very young as well I was 18 so I think when you're 26 27 and you want to you want to be playing regularly then it's a different story and certainly if you're at a club like Man City and you're you're not getting the games that you want you know the manager's not changing anytime soon the level of the players that you're going to be up against isn't changing anytime soon um so you might start to look to move on it, it, it's hard because it all comes down to what what the player wants to do, um, mm. and but there has to be a, a realism. When when I left City, there was, um, I was told they were signing players to play with me, which I knew deep down that wasn't the case because they were signing a lot of centre backs and there wasn't enough places in the team, and I kept getting told um, things which I didn't believe were true. So at the end of it, it was a case of if. They haven't got the respect to speak to me correctly. Well, then I need to leave because I don't want to get lied to because I've enjoyed myself. I don't want to get lied to at the end of it. So that's when I had an option to leave that I decided to leave because I knew I would get games where I was going to go um, instead of not 
I felt I might not have had a chance regardless of what I was doing of getting mm. games. So that's that's that was my personal decision then was to leave. Toby, what's yours, sir? Yeah, it's hard for me to ask anything about your playing days because when you signed for City, <laughs> I wasn't even born. <laughs> and when you left City, that was when I really started kicking into it. So um, it's kind of difficult for me to ask. But what I will do is I'll ask a similar question that I asked to Nicky Weaver, actually, when he was on a, a few months ago. Um, and I'm a big believer in butterfly effects of football. And I, I believe that if this happens, it this has happened because this has happened and this happened and, and so on and so forth. And I mean, seeing where the team are today, uh, do you feel some sort of sense of pride and that you contributed to, to where the team are today? Because I feel like, especially, you know, looking back on, as I say, our similar thing to Nicky Weaver and your achievements as yourself. I mean, I think um, if I'm right in saying you captained the, um, the side against Man United 2008, would I be right in saying? Um, in the derby, yeah. um, do you feel some sort of sense of pride towards towards um, your your playing days at Man City? Now looking at the team where they are today, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with the the butterfly effect. I think the the fact of what the team of Nicky Weaver and Paul Dickoff and Andy Morrison players like that that what they done to get the the team back up out of League Two, which was a nightmare. Nobody's going to buy a League Two club. Nobody from Abu Dhabi is going to come and buy a League Two club. So it's important that you need to get on the road and start moving forward. Um, I joined when they, they went into the, the Premier League for the first time. Um, and City were basically a yo-yo club. They were everyone's second favourite club because they weren't a threat to anybody. They were just a, a team that they'll be in the league for a year or two and then they'll be gone again for a couple of years. So... I remember when we got promoted from the championship, one of the, the goals was to make City a Premier League team to try and stabilise it and set them on a... Obviously not on the road to where they are now because that was unforeseen. Nobody could have imagined that. But you want to become a stable Premier League team that's there year in, year out. Um, and from the year that we got promoted, we've obviously never been down again. And we've had situations where I think we we had a season... Um, where we scored a goal, we beat Everton at home 2-0 on New Year's Day. And we never scored a goal again at home till till the following season. So we we were struggling, but we always managed to find a way of keeping the team alive and keeping this team going. And I think if Man City were still a yo-yo club and they were down and they were they weren't uh, there's other clubs that, that that people would go and buy. Um but the fact that the stadium that they had, the consistency of maybe seven or eight years in the Premier League. They looked a much better uh, proposition for for buyers than than they might have been ten years previously. Um, I don't I don't feel any sort of contribution to the success that the teams have at the moment or anything like that. But I feel that a part of a, a good part of the city's history in terms of putting them in a in a position to become the club that they are now. Um, they've gone on beyond above and beyond what we ever thought could be possible. But the fact that I can still go back as a as a fan and um have a, a good relationship with a lot of people around the, the stadium and the fans and stuff like that is means more to me than than what I suppose than that's the most important thing that I've got from my time at City. Not the fact that they're now winning trophies because that's just the hard work and the 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 money and the wealth and the I suppose the experience that the 
the coaches and the players and the owners have had over the last 12 or 14 years. But the longevity and the the support that myself and ex-players still get from the club and from from fans, I think, is, is what sort of stays with us as, as, as ex-players rather than trying to hold thing on and have some sort of claim to fame for, for the success that they were achieving now. Well, speaking personally, as when we did a couple of forums together, and obviously I've I've watched every minute of every game that you played, Richard, and you were a fan favourite. You won Player of the Year uh, multiple occasions. Um, I, I'm so grateful to have had the chance to watch you play, and and I know that you're quite a modest and shy person, so it's been a great honour to have you on the podcast as well because. I know you don't do a lot of these things, so I'm really, really appreciative of, of this. Um, the final bit of this podcast is just to look ahead now. I mean, obviously, the two-week period, they're going to go off to Abu Dhabi. Um, and then when the return comes, it's a Friday night fixture at Spurs in the FA Cup. And Spurs have drawn 2-2 earlier today as we're recording this against United. Um, and and I've got to say, having watched that Newcastle game, I'm feeling pretty optimistic that City can progress in the FA Cup and, and who knows what they can achieve again this year. So we'll leave Richard to the end. Um, where are you on the confidence scale, Tony? Are you um, going to look forward to two weeks without City and then go win at Tottenham or are you frustrated there's no game in three days? Yeah, I think um, whenever I played uh, football, ultimately when you win, you want to play again. And when you've lose, you want to get the next game played as well, so that you can you're not finishing on one way or the other sort of thing. So, um, it's like I think, like Richard said, obviously it's good to go away on a on, on a high of a of a win. Um, Tottenham's a different kettle of fish, um, but at this moment in time, the way that we're playing, things do seem to be clicking into gear. Um, so I think the game at Tottenham will be a different game this time, and hopefully we get the rub of the green and we come away with the. Uh, with a victory, um, but it's probably one of the toughest draws. When 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 looking at the teams that were left in, I was thinking let's avoid Liverpool and let's avoid Tottenham, and obviously we got Tottenham. So um, <laughs> it's probably not the best the best draw. But again, you have to beat these teams in order to go on and win it anyway. So um, I'm more confident now probably than I was three or four weeks ago when we were playing Tottenham because you know Tottenham have got uh, a few players out, um, uh, mainly Son who seems to be one of those players that does seem to score against us. So, so yeah, let's, I look forward to the game and uh, let's take it from there. And hopefully the lads have a good break and, and we're seeing Haaland in the side when we, when we come back and we play Tottenham. I think you've been at the games at the new Tottenham stadium, Toby, and yeah. you get to see the Blues score there. You, you, do you believe in who do you? I don't. I think City will go there and win. I just want to score a goal. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I hate that place. <laughs> It is. I've been to every single game there that we played, other than the COVID season, and I haven't seen a goal. I think uh, what happened, we 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 get ten minutes in, we're really confident, and then we don't score and we just lose it. And uh, I, I just want to score a goal. I, I said, I said at the start of the season, going to Tottenham away, if we lose five one, fine, but we've at least we've scored. Obviously, that wouldn't be great in this situation because it's the FA Cup would be out, but. I, 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 you know what, all I'm hoping for is a goal at the moment. I'll, I'll go in pessimistic because that's that's how I usually am with these things. Um, look, of course, you've got to be confident in some ways. Um, we've just won a, we've just won at Newcastle. Tough place to go. We're on a, a run of six or seven now. Um, and so it's, it's, it's going. And, and usually, historically, we've seen uh, City click into gear in the second half of the season and go on these ridiculous win streaks. 
Um, but yeah, let's let's see what happens. I, if, when, if we score there, I'm going to be happy because then it sets us up quite nicely for the league game as well. But um, yeah, I, I, as you say, in the, the two worst draws for us were going to be Tottenham away or Liverpool full stop. And yeah, we drew Tottenham away and, and that was frustrating. But at least it's not too far for me, only about half an hour down the road, which <laughs> makes it a little bit easier on, on me on Friday night. Richard, did you have a, a bogey team? Did they exist? Tell me they didn't exist. <laughs> um, nah, I don't. It's hard to believe that there's any team that's a bogey team for this Man City side. Um, they're, they're so good. But unfortunately, you, you, there is certain grounds that you go to and it just doesn't sit right with you. Um, whether it be the dressing room, the journey, whatever it is, it just doesn't seem you, you're never prepared correctly um, one reason or another. And City's team that way when they when they go to, to Tottenham, I think Tottenham have managed somehow to. I'd like to see the overall possession in the five or six games that have been played because generally City had a, had a better side each time. Um, Tottenham, I think, are a really good side. Um, so it'll be a really interesting match. If, if Tottenham are missing, I think probably five starters at the moment from today's team and. Uh, if they're back, I don't know what the what the timings are for the for the different tournaments that the, that they have going on at the moment. But um, I I, I think City, I fancy City to win. I think they're on a run now, and it's one of those where if you're winning games, you want to win games regardless of the competition. You want to win them. Um, so it will be the strongest side I think that Pep can get out, and yeah, hopefully they can they can win. If you beat Tottenham away, the the competition starts to open up a little bit. You start to look at it a little bit more positively. So, fingers crossed we can get through this one. It's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast, Richard, and I really, really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll get you on again sometime. I'm not going. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you every week because I know it's not your style. But, uh, but nevertheless, it's been great to have you on, um, and obviously, big thanks to Tony and Toby as well, uh, and to Counting King, the R and D tax specialists. Get in contact with them, Google them, and also um, check out Amar Development UK. Both of those two companies sponsor me, for which I'm very, very grateful. Um, Obviously, there'll be another podcast next week, but there'll be no match to review. So we're going to focus a little bit on off-field matters with City. And I'm hoping to speak to Mark Todd, who's one of our regular contributors, who's on the City Matters Committee, to see where they're up to with things like fixtures being played at Tottenham on a Friday night and then Brentford on a Monday, which might yet be moved to Saturday and all the sort of nuances of all that and even the development of the new uh, North Stand and how that's progressing. So hopefully we'll get some some news and all that uh, and we'll debate a few things off the field. Um, in the meantime, we'll look out for an interview that I did with uh, Kit Simons, which I'll put up in a, uh, at, at the weekend, the blank weekend. Uh, and once again, thanks very much to Richard, Toby and Tony. And uh, if you only remember one thing from this podcast, remember this, even if you remember nothing else, it's great to be a blue. <laughs> <laughs>